take a walk with us down memory lane, or maybe help spark a conversation with a loved one about the way farms used to sound. With your Amazon device or Alexa app, say, Alexa, play country farm sounds and escape to a mid-1900s farm where they will take a walk during morning chores. Welcome in. You are listening to the Friday, October 20, 2023 installment of Market Plus. Joining us now, star of stage and film, Sean Hackett. Hi, Sean. Hi, Paul. How are you? Good. I have, we have great questions, first off. Uh, we're going to talk about some weather, going to button up some of these other things that we kind of ran through. But these questions this week were fantastic, everybody, um, because they cover a lot of things. We're going to start with Ernie in Nebraska. Ernie emailed me a question. He wants to know, Sean, are the Chinese trade challenges producing any issues for farmers in this part of the economy? That is, the issues of trade barriers and restrictions, as well as the showdown recession in the Chinese economy. Well, I would say, given that the Chinese have made a decision to diversify their demand away to other countries like Brazil and are wanting to do that more and more, is having an impact on our demand from them, our basis levels from them, no question about it. Now, you know, we don't, we're not actually seeing physical barriers, but we're certainly seeing intentional barriers of not wanting to buy unless they absolutely have to. Now they will, if, if the price is right, but you know, that means you gotta have a low price for them to wanna come in and do it. It's an ongoing factor, it's not going away, and it's just something we're gonna have to deal with. This week, uh, China announced GDP numbers that were above expectations. We'd heard, you know, the question there was about a recession. Kind of looks like that economy maybe has turned. They've been pushing a lot of money in, printing a lot of money. They've been trying to support the banks, lowering interest rates. If you do enough of that, Paul, you will get at least a short-term reaction. I do think they're looking at a bounce in their economy into the end of the year. Is that enough to excite the commodity market? So far, it hasn't really done so, but it eventually will. <laughs> you open the door. I don't know if I should say it, but it's what the United States does. It Pumps is money into the economy, lowers interest rates, and then we had inflation take off. What happens if China has high inflation because of these policies that they've just done? Well, if their policies create commodity inflation, which always leads headline inflation six to nine months in advance, it complicates what the Federal Reserve and the government wants to do in an election year in 2024, which was which is to boost the economy and get things rolling. So very complicated situation, Paul, because if we're not in just a, you know, you know, one, uh, a single polar economy where it's multipolar mm -hmm. and every factor, every lever gets pulled at a different time. We'll call that balanced. It is. It can be balanced at times. But it's also hard to understand and make sense of what move and what lever responds. To the I get what you're saying. Yes. All right. Frank in Illinois has one for you here, Sean. Is the 100-year drought still forecast for next year? If so, how do you recommend positioning in certain contracts for corn and beans? Well, let's be clear. Uh, the like, the Gleisberg cycle is an 89-year cycle plus or minus one year. We went back and looked at all the tree ring analysis data going back 11 centuries and confirmed this cycle and there's a three-year window that it can that has typically happened. That was 2023, 2024, or 2025. That's your three-year window if it's going to repeat. We just dodged a bullet this past growing season, meaning a few things went a little bit differently. It could have been that kind of a drought. The issue with the Gleisberg cycle is you need a neutral to La Nina base state. 
We didn't quite have that this year, but we're moving back into La Nina next year. And the question will be how quickly does La Nina gain hold in the atmosphere? If it's early enough, then 2024 could certainly you know, offer that opportunity. 25 is clear in our work to be a La Nina year. So right now when I'm looking at 24-25, I'd have to say 25 gets our, our nod right now, but 24 could be depending on when La Nina kicks in. So we're going to be hotter and drier, most likely, moving forward. We're going to be worse than what we were this year? This year we were lucky. Up until the end we had right. pretty cool weather. Uh, For well, many, there's plenty of people out there who will gladly show you pictures of their, their yield monitors. True, but the, 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 if we had hot weather in the key growing areas, the yields could have been considerably worse. La Nina, however, we're not going to be afforded any cool weather. It's going to be hot and dry, so next year could be considerably worse than what we saw this year. So I'm guessing from what you said, um, are you positioning yourself in anything in corn and beans then, given what you just said and your thoughts on weather? We've been adamant in our writings and in our recommendations to our livestock producers to go out and use the December 24 price levels to lock in and protect upside price risks on corn feed, for example. Just a few weeks ago, we made a similar recommendation in meal. We think end users of physical feed need to be protecting against this ongoing drought cycle, which we think has at least another couple of years to go in the U.S. before we might actually shift the climatic gears here. Boy, there's a lot of people who don't like to hear you say that, Sean, uh, when they look at weather. I mean, I look at low Mississippi River levels for shipping and the impacts on that. Uh, Memphis this week set a record on low levels. When does that start showing up into any pricing? Well, it shows up with you know, a weak basis if you can't move the product, obviously. It'll show up next growing season if, if we don't refill up the, the river and, and we deplete the soil even further. You know, last year we got a recharge. That helped a lot to get, you know, get off to a good start. But if we go into the spring and we have the river levels at that level and we have no ability to recharge, it could be quite a, quite a situation. And you also think Brazil is not off the hook either when it comes to weather woes. We feel we have one of the most serious situations we have seen in decades for Central West, that's the Mato Grosso area. The Amazon Basin, which is the rainforest that feeds Mato Grosso, is having the driest start to the monsoon season since 1902. The Amazon River is at record low levels. Talk about the Mississippi. Um, that's what feeds it. That's the monsoon. If you have a failed monsoon season, going into the growing season like this, we already are hearing that it's so dry in Mato Grosso that they're gonna to have to see significant replantings of crops of soybeans that were already planted, which means, guess what? Those are gonna mature later on in February and you're gonna have a delayed planting for corn and you, know, you, 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 you run that situation through. We really have never, I've never seen the Amazon basin dry like this before. I mean, it's really unusual and maybe all those plantings in the Amazon that they keep doing is starting to have an impact on that atmospheric river that has blessed you know, Brazil for a long time and allowed them to grow crops for a while. The last you know, three or four years, we've seen unusual dryness in the Amazon. So I really, really feel that if we're looking at the growing season, keep an eye on Mato Grosso. It could be a big mover for the winter months and provide marketing opportunities much earlier than we would normally expect to see it under normal circumstances. We will do one more question on that in a moment, but I want to get to Phil in Ontario now because he's asking about the significance of December corn breaking $5. He says December is gaining on the March 24 contract with the carry narrowing. 
There is lots of corn around. Is it a function of farmers locking the keys to the bin door? Is it Brazil setting up for dry patterns, or is it just an anom anomaly? It's too early for Brazil. You know, we, we're, we're too early for that to be an issue. Um, you know, certainly one of the reasons why you have post-harvest rallies in corn this time of the year is because farmers do lock up in the bin and say, come get it next year. Um, we're definitely seeing that. Is this also an indication and maybe the yields are lower than the current USDA estimates? Maybe the test weights are coming in light, which we're hearing from many. Um, the problem with that is the USDA, the way that process works, we're probably not going to get that answer at the earliest January, and we may not even get it until the March quarterly grain stocks. So unfortunately, I think we're going to be guessing for a long time here on what that actually looks like. Well, we're looking at the December corn contract on the video side of things, but this is uh, tied a little bit to the crop size. In August, Mike in Nebraska asked you about what was your biggest assumption and question going into the Pro Farmer Tour? Was your assumption correct? Are the good, bad areas better, worse than expected? What about your fuel, fuel needs? He says right now I'm hand to mouth. Well, when it comes to crude oil and diesel and things of that nature, because we've had this premium put in due to the escalating Israeli war, be a little reticent to lock in those kinds of energy prices right now. But natural gas prices, propane prices, fertilizer prices, that side of the energy ledger, we think the long-term opportunity to lock in very economical physical supply is something that's available and we should continue to do that. When you have $18 LNG overseas and we're sitting at three, mm. at some point that's going to narrow. Yeah, and natural gas went down nearly 10% this week. Tough week there. Tough week. Uh, let's move to feeder cattle question here with Ryan in Illinois. Uh, he was wanting to know from you, Sean, feeder cattle prices have remained strong, yet we've seen some price correction in the live cattle complex. What are your thoughts on where that market for cattle maybe going as we approach 2024. And I'm gonna add a little more to your question, Ryan, in 24 as well. Well, we've, we've been very negative and continue to be negative this complex into the spring. Too many cattle on feed have to come to the market. Demand side shock we've been anticipating. We're starting to see the beef cutout price decline for two months straight. We're starting to see the speculators liquidating the market, the feeder cattle really getting hit hard. Um, and of course, no one expects it could come down. You know, that, that's the way the psychology works, right? We think you need to continue to lock in as a cattle producer these levels, which are still positive and profitable, into the spring. Now, that's the first half story. The back half story is supply isn't going to be rebuilt anytime soon. And if you know, and and because of that, if we get the beef cutout price down low enough, demand will come back, especially as we get into the spring, the summer grilling season. So I think it's a back half better, first half tough time. So you, you can also use today's cattle on feed then, placed at 106, market at 89, which doesn't that say people are holding back? Yeah, I mean, that says that the, we have a lot of animals on feed, a lot of animals that have to come to the market, and everyone is starting to pull back from the marketplace. That's probably, Paul, one of the most bearish cattle on feed reports I have seen in a year or two. It's been a long time we've seen something way out of the box like that. One last out of the box question to wrap it up. This is what you can talk about in the airport on the way home or on your trips. Uh, let's go Dan in Nebraska. Are we in the beginnings of a commodity super cycle? Use all the things you talked about. We believe we are. Weather volatility is on the rise. All our work with lower solar cycles and such suggests that's going to continue to worsen over time. Secondly, 
the geopolitical situation, we, there's a, something called the 53.5 year geopolitical escalation cycle comes due in 2026, which means we are in an escalating cycle that always has, in the past, led to higher commodity inflation. When we look at times that we've seen sovereign debt crises, like we're starting to see where governments are overbloated with debt and have to print money to keep themselves going, it has always been a situation where money flees the fiat currency system and moves to hard assets. All three of these cycles are in, are in sync at the same time, which says to me, that's a commodity super cycle. It has ebbs and flows, and we've been flowing down for a while, but these typically last 10 to 15 years, and we're only year three into a 10 to 15 year cycle. That's what we think we are, and we don't see anything to sway us away from that conclusion. We have come to the conclusion of our time together, Sean. Good to see you. Good to see you, Paul. Thank you so much. Sean Hackett, everybody. Thank you. Next week, agriculture's heavy hitters will gather to discuss world food policy, and we'll have the commodity market analysis from Sean O'Leary and Ross Baldwin. They will join us. Have a great week, everyone.